Welcome to Money Stories with LDT. I'm Linda Davis-Taylor, and this is Funding Your Dreams with Kara Golden. Going back to the finance, too, it's just figure out how to understand these different elements. And I think that that is the thing that so many people don't do, that they leave it to somebody else. And I think that that is really where you run into the biggest trouble. Today on Money Stories, we're joined by Kara Golden, the founder and CEO of Hint, a lifestyle brand most famously known for its Hint water product and unsweetened flavored water. In addition to being Hint CEO and founder, Kara hosts her own podcast called The Kara Golden Show, where she converses with industry disruptors and innovators in wellness, business, and life. In 2020, Kara released her own book, Undaunted, Overcoming Doubts and Doubters. Part autobiography, part self-development, Undaunted is a playbook for harnessing courage for long-term success. Get ready to learn more about Kara's noteworthy journey across entrepreneurship, wellness, and innovation, all through the timeline of her own money stories. I'm absolutely delighted to welcome Kara Golden today to Money Stories. Kara is a dynamo. She's an incredibly successful entrepreneur. She has a phenomenal book, new book that's hitting the world by storm. Uh, She has her own podcast and she has so much to share with us about this really important topic of women and money. So Kara, thank you for making time in your schedule to talk with us today. Absolutely. Very excited to be here. Great. Well, let's jump in if we could. For our listeners who might not be as familiar as they should be, your story is incredible about how you began your brand. Um, Every time I read about it, it, it's so inspiring. Thank you. It really is. So can we just start with a little bit about Hint came to be in your life? Absolutely. Uh, well, thank you for the very nice words and introduction. So I, uh, I started my company Hint about 15 years, a little over 15 years ago now. And I did it when I realized that I wasn't as healthy as I wanted to be. And for me, uh, there was no diagnosis. It was just really how I was feeling. My energy levels were way down. I had three young children, three under the age of four, and uh, and I had uh, I had been a tech executive. Uh, I worked for a company called America Online, where I ran their e-commerce and shopping partnerships for seven years, and built an incredible business really from scratch with my team and uh, uh, really exciting time and. Prior to that, I actually started my career in New York. I was in journalism, worked at Time, uh, entry-level jobs at Time, and then went mm-hmm. on to work at CNN. And so I, I uh, moved, had moved out to Silicon Valley where I had really my first taste of a startup working for five guys who had worked for Steve Jobs at Apple. And uh, I, I just really took the job because I thought it was hysterical that they didn't wear suits. I was so used to everyone wearing suits, right? And when I was right. working in New York and oh, fancy yeah. clothes and and uh, so that was really my first taste of a startup. And um, and then that was that company was acquired by AOL. And as I mentioned, I mean it was, you know, it was really what what's termed a hockey stick. It was an exciting time where there were uh, definitely um, you know, we were 
going through this hockey stick of high growth and then it started to level off and we we had I woke up and realized that it was a billion dollars in revenue to AOL and I had three young kids under the age of four back in San Francisco. I was mm-hmm. traveling all over to all of my retailers and I thought it's time to hang it up. And, uh, and that's really when I took the next two years off, I knew I wasn't going to f- officially retire. Mm-hmm. I was too young to do that, but I thought I, I want to do something that has purpose um, maybe it's in tech. That was really where my experience was and what mm-hmm. I was known for. But I really hadn't kind of gotten that far. But in the meantime, getting back to my health, I, I started working out. That's what we do when we go on breaks from you know right. work. We start to get healthy. We could try to catch all. up. Right, catch up. So that was me, and uh, I was also paying close attention to what I was putting into my kids' bodies because mm-hmm. I was just getting used to you know, picking out what they should be eating and drinking as well. But getting back to the drinking part, I had never really focused on what I was putting in my body totally. And and by that, I mean, I had been drinking diet soda, diet Coke mm-hmm. in particular, since uh, I was a teenager in the early 80s. My mom was a tab drinker. And of course, mm-hmm. I wasn't going to drink what my mom drank. And so uh, diet Coke had launched and I, you know, was confident that it was healthy, it seemed healthy. And, yeah. right? I never questioned it. And when I had been reading ingredients on my food for years, that's when, uh, and really in particular over the last few months, that's when I thought, gosh, I'm, I'm reading the ingredients on my food, but not on my drinks. Maybe hmm. I should do a little test. So that's what I did. And I, after a couple of days of just not drinking any Diet Coke. It, mm-hmm. People always ask, was it really hard? It was. It was really hard, but I, I'm a former athlete. I decided this is what I'm going to do. I set it's my mind to it. You know about discipline. Yeah, I, I did it. And, um, and so after a couple of days, I was thirsty and I was drinking water. And I thought, this is why I don't drink water because it is so darn boring. <laughs> and right. And I knew I should like have been medicine. drinking water. My medicine. I'm taking right. my medicine. Right. But I didn't want to do it. And I thought, okay, I'll do it for a couple more weeks, but I don't know. And, and so after two and a half weeks of swapping my diet Coke out for plain water, I lost 24 pounds my acne that I had developed over the course of a few years had that I had been to a bunch of dermatologists for, and nobody could figure it out, had gone away, mm. and my energy levels came back. And so I was doing my own little test. And again, the one problem was that water was boring. So I started slicing up fruit that was on my counter, and I threw it in the water. And I still didn't think of myself as an entrepreneur. I thought, this just helps me drink mm-hmm. water, which I know is better for me. And I'm solving a problem though. And solving a problem, right? And and I incubated this sort of idea in my head for, you know, almost the next year. And friends would say to me, they would see me, I would always carry a glass of some sort of fruit in my drink. And I would explain to people, I wish that there was a can of this or a bottle of this because it was so convenient to get that diet Coke and, you know, it, it would be so much easier. So I went around looking at stores for my product and it wasn't there. And I kept thinking, I think women do this a lot. I, I uh, kept thinking it was me that just couldn't find it. 
right? I, I mean, I was in denial. We absolutely do that. Right. Yeah. And I said, gosh, you know, why isn't it at the store? I kept asking people. They said, oh, there's this product called vitamin water, which is exactly what you want. Vitamin water, by the way, there wasn't even a diet version of vitamin water at the time. It had 300 calories more than a can of Coke. But the, the challenge, I think, for people was exactly what I had seen with Diet Coke. It was words, words matter, mm -hmm. right? So vitamin and water equated mm -hmm. to health for a lot of people sure. and still does today. People think that it's healthy. Somebody's watching out there and allowing this you know, company to be built. So anyway, it was, that's where my head was at. And finally, I was still looking for that perfect you know, role in tech. And, but every morning I'd get up and I would think about this problem that so many people have that not only do probably a lot of other people like me find water boring, otherwise there wouldn't be these, mm -hmm. you know, big diet businesses and also diet industry as a whole. But I thought it's really pretty sad because people are trying right and it and there's all these products that are healthy perception versus healthy reality right. that are out there and i i thought gosh if i could just get a product on the shelf i wasn't even calling it a company or myself an entrepreneur i thought it would just be really awesome to be in a position where i could help people mm -hmm. and really discover mm -hmm. it without lecturing them about you know, that diet Coke is really terrible. I said, I'm just going to give them what I drink. And so I started calling around and figuring out and I thought, how hard could it be? I mean, you know, people say, did you know what you were getting into? No, not at all. And, and, but I'm a quick study and realized yeah, yeah. pretty fast, you know, what I was really up against what, uh, but I think more than anything, it, it was also really a mindset, which I think is something that a lot of people go through, which is, and particularly if you've been in kind of a high growth company where, you know, you go through this incredible growth time and then things start to level off. Thankfully they weren't nosediving. And, but it was, uh, it was, I found myself not really learning. And this is something I talk about a lot mm -hmm. for a lot of, you know, people who have work their way up the ladder who are sitting in C-suite roles, maybe, maybe management roles, is that the higher you go, the more emphasis is on you to teach, to mentor, versus actually you yourself learning, right? And, right. and I think that the boredom starts to set in. Oftentimes, the anger starts to set in. You know, maybe we confuse even in some cases, certainly not all cases, mental health. Mm -hmm. or depression of where am I? What am I doing? And I think I was, I was there, right? I, I look back on that time and, and think that, you know, this learning aspect was really what I saw in this beverage industry because every day it was a new challenge, but it was so exciting that I was, you know, getting up every day and trying to figure it out. Again, I had been a, uh, you know, one of the youngest vice presidents at America mm -hmm. Online was also uh, one of the few females sort of at that level. Uh, there were other females, but one of the few. And, you know, I think people just saw me as jumping into this new industry, the beverage industry. What are you doing? And exactly. they just, they couldn't figure it out. But for me, it, it was just never about getting into the beverage industry. It was about the beverage was the tool 
to actually change health. Our listeners can tell that you have confidence galore. So I want to ask you about one aspect of of confidence, and clearly you have competence. How does confidence and competence about money fit into all of this? And do you think that has been important to you and your career successes, and I guess maybe particularly as an entrepreneur? How has the whole money aspect for you played out? Yeah, well, I I think there's the personal aspect of it. And then there's also the Mm -hmm. business aspect of it. And I think obviously, you know, we all have our journey. And so I think that that puts an imprint into how we react, uh, you know, as we were talking earlier, uh, you know, just managing during the pandemic and and sort of have been through a really scary um, time where, you know, you can call me confident, but also I, I have fears. Right. And I look at, I look at those times as learning experiences and I try to do everything I can to uh, not be in those situations again. But I think that it was, uh, you know, I grew up in, in a house of, of five kids um, and the youngest of five. And we, uh, yeah. And, you know, it's, it's fascinating. My dad had was, I call him a frustrated entrepreneur because he was, uh, he worked for a large company, ConAgra, and he had developed a brand called Healthy Choice. And well, there you go. He was- yeah, but very different, but very, you know, in many ways, very similar. But I remember, uh, you know, as a kid, hearing him talk about, you know, all these ideas. He all he was so creative, had so many ideas. And I said, you should go and do those ideas. And because we didn't have a ton of money, I mean, we were fine, but we didn't have a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And he was, you know, really trying to and make five sure kids. That, five and kids and five kids. And, and, uh, and so it was, so I would sit there and say, you know, well, why don't you go do it? Are, are you chicken? Are you, you know, why, why wouldn't you do that? And, you know, it's something that I think about a lot when people have asked me, should I go start a company or, you know, I'm, I'm less courageous than you are, Kara, or whatever. I, I think it's about getting, figuring out what your priorities are. So for my dad, his priorities, although he never made us feel bad about it, was to put all five kids through college. Mm-hmm. Why that was a priority, I, you know, maybe it's generational, right? right? He gained so much from having five kids who graduated from college, even when I was a successful executive at AOL and Mm -hmm. all the things that I had been doing, he would introduce me and say to people that she went to college. It was all part of, you know, the, the story and really what he cared about. And so for him, he really viewed this idea of starting a company as risk. It was also a generation where, as I always, I have four Gen Zers, three in college and one in high school now. And I always say to them, you know, if you, if you think that it's stressful trying to figure out what you want to do, imagine my dad would have been in his early nineties now, how, when he was thinking about his career at age 21, he had to make the decision for the rest of his life. I mean, that's how he thought you had one job and that was maybe two. And that was it, right? And so just so I think that all of these aspects um, kind of tie in. And I, I should also mention something else that I talk about in the book is that my father, when I was in high school and we were doing fine, 
but we didn't have a lot of extra money, he was laid off. Oh boy, that's company. a money story. That's a right. Big- and so you experience something like that as as you know a kid as a teen. And my dad didn't have a job for two years, wow. and it was um, and then his company Kinagra ended up hiring him back. That's a story in and of itself. Um, but the, but he moved to Omaha, Nebraska that they, I don't think they actually thought he was going to move from Scottsdale to Omaha, but he, he really had no choice. And so he moved and, um, and you know, my kids still laugh about this because he didn't think it was fair to me to make me move. I was a junior, Mm -hmm. um, in high school. And so he said, as long as you're responsible, you can stay. And so I, took that very seriously and started, you know, balancing checkbook and okay. I, and, you know, so you doing were, all were on your own. You were, I was on my own. I mean, my kids still say, you know, my son said to me the other day, he was like, did your parents hate you? Is that why they want it? And I said, no, like they wanted me to come. I was welcome to come, but they thought me switching schools in the middle of high mm-hmm. school was a lot. Mm-hmm. And, and I think my dad felt very guilty. Um, and by the way, he was laid off uh, for not having an MBA. Oh and that was God. the 80s. So, right? so that, it, that, you know, educate, you can yeah. see why education was so important to him. Yeah, Like that's yeah. going to be security. Nobody can take that away. Some company won't come in and penalize you for something like that. So I yeah. can see that. That was a lot of money lessons for you, Kara. It was, and but not, not intentional right. money lessons. But I think what it said was that security is, it, it is false, right? And in many ways. And I think that that was something that I learned early on. And I think that the other thing that I learned was that if you actually want something, that you have to go out and get it. And so I went out and got a job at a toy store, a local toy store when I was 14. Uh, I talk about it in the book. I ended up, I was a kid after all. And uh, I initially, I thought it was so great because I was going to get to do the cash register on Sundays. And, you know, I thought that'd be really fun to be able to use a credit card machine. And, you know, (laughs) it's all those things that you think about when you're a kid. And uh, soon I became a, uh, I, I was really good with customers because they would, I was a kid, they'd say, what should I buy my teenage son? And I and just you knew. knew it. You knew I the knew, products. Right. I knew what they would like. And so anyway, Nancy, the owner of the store started taking me to the buying uh, events. And so that was the first place where I started learning about margin. And I started learning about, you know, the, the significance of being able to have enough money in order to, you know, the word float, th- things mm-hmm. like at age 14. That's I mean, amazing. It was this incredible experience from a business standpoint. But again, I would come home and have dinner with my parents. And I remember talking to them about what I was learning and they, they just couldn't believe it, right? That I was 14 and I'm, you know, working there. And it was just, uh, it was crazy. And so I think it came from a lot of different Mm -hmm. places. Um, but it also, I mean, you know, I remember when I had my first job in, in tech at, at a startup in Silicon Valley, I was never given equity when I worked at time or CNN. And when I moved Mm -hmm. to Silicon Valley, 
my husband is, was a brand new attorney and they handed me a contract when I was going to work for this little startup uh, called Two Market. And he was finishing reading the contract as you know, lawyers always do. Yep. And he said, uh, gosh, you have equity in the company. And I said, okay, well, I kind of know what equity is, but <laughs> what, what does that mean? And he said, well, you don't really have to do anything with it, but I think it's pretty great. I mean, they're giving you a salary and bonus potential, but you've got this equity. I mean, if the company ever gets acquired or, uh, which we did about a year later. Mm -hmm. So I had, you know, equity for pennies and it was just, and again, it was just a, I mean, it was crazy, you know? And so I think in many, many ways, I, I've just also felt that, you know, you, you, uh, there's opportunities that come up, but there are things that are, uh, things that, you know, kind of cross your cross, mm -hmm. you, you look at the details and make sure that you really understand those details. But I think in many ways, I, I also felt that I was, I was kind of living in this world where I shouldn't have even had the opportunities. Like, why did they give me equity? I mean, I just thought it was incredible. Right. And so, so I felt very fortunate um, but I also felt like uh, that could all go away tomorrow. Absolutely. And that that's such a fascinating lesson. Your dad's story and was obviously then part of your lexicon, part of your experience. You said, this is not, working for a big company is not security. It's not. And so why wouldn't I go and do what I want to do? Because that's just as, quote, secure, if you think about it that way, with a lot more opportunity. So, yeah. Yeah. Great I think it's, lessons. I think it's, I think it's huge. And, you know, you look at fast forward, I would say that, you know, we, we have a ton of millennials in our, in our company, 70% of the workforce today are millennials. And mm -hmm. I would say that millennials even believe it more, uh, that it's, uh, there, there is no job security. Right. And, and I think that you might as well do what you love. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a really, really important lesson. But I would also say that anytime somebody hands you a contract and you should definitely have an attorney look it over because I think that there are, just because you're getting equity, mm -hmm. I think that there are, you know, preferred stock versus common right. stock. You may not be able to negotiate um, a lot of these things because that's just the type of stock that you're getting or, um, or maybe a vesting schedule or whatever. But I think just really understanding those things too is, is just really, really critical. Um, well, and because, you, you mentioned two, two things, because I think some, sometimes we think, well, if I, I'm supposed to know this vocabulary, whatever the right. vocabulary is, but you mentioned you, you had the, you know, the opportunity to have your husband look at the contract. There are other, as you say, there are other people we can get if our husbands aren't attorneys who can look at those contracts with us and help us get educated. And then what questions to ask? So yeah. have, have you had, and you've been an entrepreneur for so long, but can you think about a financial negotiation that comes to mind that you thought was challenging or Here's the other thing that comes to mind too, as you're talking about that, what I've learned over, uh, over the years, I'll, I'll just say that is that, uh, actually asking questions can really work to your benefit because so often, um, people will hand things to you and 
you know, in the case of a contract, they haven't even read it or they, they don't mm -hmm. actually articulate it and can't understand it. And I think from a business standpoint, I used to think when I walked into the beverage industry that I wasn't going to be able to really be successful unless I got lots of, uh, you know, beverage executives or, or people who had worked at the, in the beverage industry. And, you know, the thing is, is that after a while, people just kind of do the same thing, right? They're just continuing, you know, to do that. And I, I, I guess that's the thing that I've learned is that I gained actually a lot. I, I was able to go, I wouldn't call it fast, but I, I probably, the being curious and I would mm -hmm. think of questions along the way. And when I would ask these questions, not having experience, people would say to me, they'd say, well, gosh, that's a really great, great question. And um, so anyway, I just think, I think that so many, so much of the time we're afraid to ask these questions because mm -hmm. we think that they're stupid questions Yes. versus, versus actually just going ahead and asking these it's questions. Something, it's something anybody asking questions, you know, there are many industries where that's needed. It's certainly, I think, true in the financial industry where there's jargon and all of this. And so many women, you know, think, well, you know, I'm not that interested in knowing about money because I don't, I don't understand it. I don't know the vocabulary. So I'm really glad to hear you talk about asking questions because it's definitely true with respect to, you mentioned the contract side, but one's financial life too, and understanding all of that. Totally. And, and I think that just don't be afraid to ask because so often your questions, people have to look into them. So I think it's really, really important. Let's talk a little bit more about Undaunted, your book. We've touched on it. So many things it covers really about kind of overcoming doubt, moving forward and in, in the face of uncertainty, which I think we're talking about, there's always uncertainty. Just talk a little bit more about Undaunted. Maybe if you have any comments in particular about how that Undaunted theme applies to building wealth and having financial security. Yeah, I think that the most important thing is to obviously do your homework and, and not be afraid to ask questions and be curious, but actually have some kind of understanding about uh about a lot of different opportunities and, and see what those options are. I mean, I'll give you a real life example with uh, what's going on in my life right now. About six months ago, I started hearing about SPACs mm -hmm. and I didn't know what a SPAC was. Great example. Right. And I, and so I started asking around, I started Googling it and trying to understand and read up on it as much as I could. I'm still learning about it. You get to a point, I think when you're reading and trying to do as much research as possible, you realize that actually you're caught up, right? You, you're on, on the different things. Now you've got to try, now you could probably contribute to conversations and try mm -hmm. and help people think about things. And, and again, I think it's just, instead of actually saying that's for somebody else to do, I hate when entrepreneurs, when I hear entrepreneurs, and this happens a lot as founders too, that maybe you've got a, an idea and you think it's a great I, idea and you've got an idea of how to execute on it, but uh, you don't really understand how to read a balance sheet. You don't really understand, you know, maybe you don't think understanding how to read a contract is important until you 
get burned. Yeah, right? until it goes start, wrong. Exactly. Right. And then you start to, I mean, you actually don't have to be a lawyer, by the way, to actually be able to read a contract and you go slower, right? You learn some of these words along the like way. Anything else, the more you see, the more you realize it's the same language. Totally. And so just going back to the finance too, it's just go figure out how to understand these different elements. And I think that that is the thing that so many people don't do that they, that they leave it to somebody else. And I think that that mm-hmm. is really where you run into the biggest trouble. Well, I, I could not agree more for, for, for everyone, particularly women, you know, and we, we have studies even today. And this amazes me that uh, recently I read one where up to 45% of millennial women defer to their, or if they're married, defer to their spouses on all things financial. Yeah. And when I read it's, that, I, I just, I, I just want to shout and say, you know, dividing up responsibilities to a degree, of course, makes sense, but you have to know. Yeah. This. No, it's, it's so true. I mean, I, it was interesting. I, I'm part of this amazing women's group called C200. And I remember they had a speaker come in from First Republic Bank who was talking about just overall, uh, you know, financial wealth and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and wills, et cetera. And the number of people who, the number of women who leave the will and leave the details to their husband. Mm -hmm, And I mean, just as a reminder, women live longer, Mm -hmm. right? And so when they are left, which sadly um, is what happens, Mm -hmm. they don't understand what was negotiated. And that's really scary. And so it is, and and it's fact, right? And I think that that is a really, really, you know, if nothing else, sort of understanding these things. And again, you know, in today's day and age, you can go on YouTube, you can go on Google, Mm -hmm. right? To try and understand things. It doesn't mean that you have to go back to business school. Mm -hmm. I mean, there, there are figuring out what you don't know, and figuring out, as I always say, enough to get you in trouble, right? Sort of the elements and start to really understand this. You don't have to become an expert, but exactly. you just enough to be comfortable that if you're sitting in a room, you can actually understand these things. Yeah. So if you've delegated certain things to experts, again, to your point, you know what questions to ask and you know if you've got a feeling like something may not be the way it should be. Absolutely. Is there anything you started so young at 14? I don't know how you could have started any earlier, but is there anything about this whole finance topic you wish you'd learned sooner? You mentioned you learned about equity. I think the first place where I really learned that I had, I was a journalism major in college and I had friends who were finance majors and they were talking about EBITDA and I had no idea what they were talking about. And how did that feel? I felt really uncomfortable, right? It was just, it was a very uncomfortable conversation. And so I, uh, I happened to have, I wanted to take some classes with some of my friends. And so it just worked out in my schedule that I could take a couple of finance classes. Mm -hmm. I remember the first time I cracked open just a very basic finance book. It was like my, that side of my brain had just never functioned. Mm -hmm. And I, and I was really nervous about it. And I remember going to my professor and saying, you know, I want to do really well in this class. I mean, how do I do that? And he told me to get a subscription to the wall street journal. Now, when I got a subscription to the wall street journal, that to me was, uh, 
I, I, my kids have taken Mandarin class. It was, it was like, uh, the equivalent of that for mm -hmm. me. I, it just was a totally a it was a mm -hmm. foreign language, but I could do it if I slowed down. And then a friend told me that she really liked fortune magazine. And so I, I got a subscription to fortune magazine too. And between the two of them, I started to see how to, you know, learn about finance and right. become much more comfortable. I graduated with a minor in finance. And part of the reason why I did it, just going back to something I said earlier about being a learner and being a lifelong learner was that it was, it was easier for me to write and be a journalism major than it was for me to be a finance minor. But mm -hmm. I felt like that was where I challenged myself and right. I put myself into uncomfortable positions. And, you know, I tried to get a job actually writing at fortune magazine and, uh, they wouldn't hire me without experience, but that was fine. I ended up staying in the building and working at Time Magazine. When you do something that you not only feel smarter and, you know, you look back mm -hmm. on those times when you knew nothing and then you knew something at the end of it, most of the time. Uh, and, but you also, the more of those that you have under your belt, uh, you know, you know that you can take on big challenges. Mm -hmm. Right. Or and, you can do it next time. So yeah. I've had this feeling before, I'm a little bit uncomfortable, seems difficult, seems hard, out of my comfort zone. But I know I can get past that because I've done totally. it other times. A hundred percent. And I think that, that that really is is the key thing. Mm -hmm. Um another thing I did, you know, related to finance that I would really say my parents were um, you know, I think my parents were my dad in particular was a little bitter, right? Had, having mm -hmm. been laid off uh, and when he ended up going back for his last five years and, you know, didn't really understand it other than the fact that he hadn't taken the time to go and get an MBA. And I mean, there's, it was just, you know, something in history that I think was, we now know was meaningless, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe you have, you have an MBA and that's fine, but there's plenty of people who, I mean, don't even have a college degree right. today and who have been successful. So that's not necessarily what makes you a great executive. And I think that what my dad really instilled in me was not only to go out and find what you enjoy doing every single day, but don't be afraid to invest in yourself to go mm -hmm. and find it. And so I ended up uh, buying a plane ticket, a uh, story in and of itself. And I talk on college campuses about this all the time in a time when apparently it wasn't so easy to find a job. Uh, the year I graduated, I ended up asking a few people if they knew anybody who had entry level positions. And I wanted, I knew I wanted to live in a big city and that was all I knew. And so I ended up investing in myself and buying a plane ticket to go from Phoenix to LA to San Francisco, Chicago, Boston, and New York. And for one month I traveled, I always had enough money, uh, or I should say before I left, I had enough money to, I was staying with parents of my friends that from college, and I always had enough money to buy them a bottle of wine or a plant mm -hmm. to thank them for letting me stay there. And I made the bed, you know, yeah. I had manners, yes. um, but it, it was, um, it was really, it, it was something that I did for myself. And, and, uh, you know, I think I've told so many college kids about this that I said, don't wait, 
for somebody to come on campus or, or, you know, don't allow a pandemic to stop you from saying I can go and find it right. Instead, just go invest in yourself. And that investment paid off significantly. Carol, that's a fantastic story to close on because it's to our listeners investing in yourself and taking the time and being, you know, taking care of yourself that that way. That's a phenomenal story. And I know our listeners are going to want to learn more about you and, and your podcast with your own storytelling in addition to the book. So as we're closing, just, just tell everybody how to find you. Yeah. So uh, it's all over social at Kara Golden with an I, and the book is called Undaunted Overcoming Doubts and Doubters. And Amazon uh, is a great place to find it. And uh, yeah, I'd love to hear from anyone. And uh, please let me know how uh, this talk impacted you as well. Well, again, we're impacted. I am just your, your story and the way you tell it. And um, now you've got all these great young people who are going to be learning from you as you continue to learn. So just thank you for your big contribution you. to the world and particularly to all these great women who are listening and others, but we're, we're really encouraging our women on, on investing in themselves. So keep it up, stay out there and do it. And thank you so much. Thank you so much. See you soon. Want more money stories? Check out my Instagram at Linda Davis Taylor underscore LDT to learn more about our incredible lineup of guests and share your own money story. Until next time, 